remember your people remember your children remember your promise oh god your grace is enough your grace is enough your grace is enough for me your grace is enough your grace is enough your grace is enough for me your grace your grace is enough your grace is enough your grace is enough for me no matter what we're going through his grace is enough your grace is enough your grace is enough your grace is enough for me I believe this song comes from when St. Paul is talking about that thorn in his side. And we don't know what that was, but it was some kind of suffering. And he didn't want it. And he went to God and he says, you know, three times I prayed, God, please take this from me. Because he didn't want the suffering. And Jesus' response was, my grace is enough. My grace is sufficient. So he didn't take it away. Basically, the answer was no, but I am going to give you the grace to put up with it. And and the suffering was there for a reason. And it's wonderful that, you know, Paul got that answer. And maybe we would like that response too, where Jesus just verbally out loud says, you know, no, you have to have this, but don't worry. My grace is here for you. Sometimes we're like... Okay, am I supposed to deal with this suffering? Is it just for a short time? Is it a season? Is this for the rest of my life? You know, our, our minds can go crazy, depending on what the suffering is. But I think it's good to remember that God does allow things, but it's for a good. And we may not know what that is. And sometimes that doesn't even bring much comfort. It's like, well, this suffering is just horrible. But the answer we get in Scripture, if God is allowing a suffering, He will give you the grace to endure it. And then we just have to trust that This suffering is here, like God is allowing it for some reason. I may not know what it is, but I have to trust that he has my best in mind and that this is for a greater good. And I may not see that for years or maybe until heaven. But anyway, hope if someone needed to hear that, I I pray that that does help. And that's what that song is about. God's grace is enough. It may not feel like it at times, but we have to trust, Lord God, your grace is enough. rises we wait upon the Lord we will wait upon the Lord we will wait upon the Lord strength will rises we wait upon the Lord we will wait upon the Lord wait upon the Lord our God you reign forever our hope our strong Everlasting 
I will remember you're with me in this fight. Although the battle, it rages on, the war is already won. I know the war is already won. Surely my God is the strength of my soul. Your love defends me. Your love defends me, and when I feel like I'm all alone, your love defends me, your love defends me, and we sing Your love defends me, your love defends me, and when I feel like I'm all alone, your love defends me, your love defends me, surely my God is the strength of my soul, your love defends me. Your love defends me, and when I feel like I'm all alone, your love defends me, your love defends me, and we sing Like a vow that is tested, like a covenant of old, and your love is enduring through the winter rain and beyond the horizon. With mercy for today, faithful you have been, and faithful you will be. 
pledge yourself to me And it's why I sing your praise Will ever be on my lips Ever be on my lips Your praise will ever be on my lips Ever be on my lips Your praise will ever be on my lips Ever be on my lips Your praise will ever be on my lips Ever be on my lips You father the orphan Your kindness makes us whole You shoulder our weakness strength becomes our own you're making me like you clothing me in white bringing beauty from ashes for you will have your bride free of all her guilt rid of all her shame known by her true name and it's why I sing you Ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, you will be praised, you will be praised with angels and saints we sing worthy are you Lord you will be praised you will be praised with angels and saints we sing worthy Ever be on my lips, 
ever be on my lips. You will be praised. You will be praised. With angels and saints, we sing worthy are you, Lord. You will be praised. You will be praised. With angels and saints, we sing worthy are you, Lord. Worthy faithful. You are love. You are holy. You are just. You are merciful. You are in control. And we can trust you. You are God. God, please help us to get that right. We are not. You are God. Help us to follow you and to do your will, not our own thing. Because we're going to mess up and go the wrong way. That's not how we were designed. We were created to be in friendship with you, God. And to do what you made us for, to love with your love. And it's hard to do that right now while we live in this broken world. But God, that's the most important thing that we do, that we obey you and do what you want us to do and be the people that you call us to be. And we need your help, your grace, and your mercy. And we ask for that, Lord God. Please lead us and guide us. Fill us with your grace. Have mercy on us, Lord God. And help us because we need you every single day. Thank you, God, that we can come to you and our hope is in you. Thank you, God, for your love. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Tyler and Luke, for leading us this morning. It's amazing. Well, this morning we are honored to welcome up Pastor Joel Spiridigliozzi to speak to us this morning. We are so thankful that you are here, and uh, church, if you can help me welcome him to, to speak this morning. Good morning, everybody. Good to be with you this morning. Uh, Sylvia and I, my wife and I, are uh, just blessed already to worship with you. 
I uh, have the wonderful privilege of uh, being the regional director of our GTA churches as part of the Western Ontario District. And it is one of my greatest privileges of my life to serve our churches. We have approximately 130 churches in the GTA, and you are one of them. And uh, this is my first time uh, at Evangel, and it is my joy to be here. And I can sense the Spirit of God in this place this morning. Uh, do you? Our God is not behind the tomb. He is alive and working and speaking and meeting the needs of his people. And as I travel around, uh, I have seen it firsthand how God is at work even in the midst of a pandemic. You know, God isn't surprised by what has happened. He's not wondering, oh man, this, this messed up my whole plan. <laughs> no. In fact, he's actually working in and through it and redeeming it. It was only a few weeks ago that I was able to uh, preach for one of our Pakistani pastors. Here's a man who, with his wife, planted a church in his apartment in Pakistan, and many of you will know that that is a Muslim nation. This little group began to blossom and grow, and, and people came to Christ, and God was revealing himself to so many different people, and they just kept outgrowing their facilities. And one day, he saw the, uh, the, the, the mosque and their leaders meet in the park to do their main gatherings, and so he thought, hey, why can't we do that? And so he went to the city hall and asked the gentleman there if he can get a permit to worship the Lord in the city park in one of the major cities of Pakistan. Now, now that, that, that's not a good idea. And so the gentleman there says, I can't sign, you know what you're asking me to do? I can't sign that permit, but wink, wink, go for it and see what happens. And so he did. And weeks and weeks went on, and so, uh, so much so that there was thousands of people worshiping the Lord in a major park in one of the major cities in Pakistan. Presently, this church is now, what started off with being a small group of about eight or so people, is now 20,000 people. Obviously, uh, because of the tremendous growth, uh, he and his family were beginning to get death threats. And he has three daughters and one son. In particular, his daughters were in major, uh, you know, uh, risk uh, to being kidnapped and forced into marriage and so on. And so he really felt prompted that he needed to leave Pakistan. And so he did, and he came to Canada. And that's where him and I met and began a relationship and began, you know, investing in his life and in his ministry. And, and today he, because of COVID, preaches from the basement of his Hamilton home to the 20,000 people in Pakistan every week. And so he's invited me to preach there for a few, a few times, and uh, the latest time, um, he says, now, Pastor, I, I, I usually show up at around 1 a.m. because Pakistani time makes it Sunday morning. And so I'm uh, showing up at his doorstep at 1 a.m., and we begin to, to preach the word of the Lord. And then he says, now, today we're going to do baptism. So, Pastor, we want you to, to baptize the people. And I said, well, that's, how's that going to work? 
And he said, well, we've got cameras and audio set up in the tanks in Pakistan because they now have nine sites throughout Pakistan. And they can see us and hear us and we can see them and, and hear them. And, and, once, and I've got pastors in the tanks and you're going to say upon the confession of your faith, we baptize you. And my pastor is going to baptize them. I said, okay, this is going to be the first. And so now I said to him, I said, listen, I'm here, but I've got to preach at another church in Toronto by 9.30 a.m., so I can't stay too long. It's already 1 a.m. that we're starting the service. He said, no, no problem, no problem. So preached, and then we did our baptisms, and what do you know? We baptized 128 people, one by one, name by name, out of a Hamilton apartment in Pakistan. Don't tell me COVID's going to stop the work of God. It's not. It's not. And today, now, we're helping him launch two campuses in the GTA. One, well, one is in Grimsby. The other's in Brampton. And God is going to use this man for his glory. He started an app and a television program that gets broadcasted all over the, 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 the Middle East. Right now, he has over a million viewers per program. And the gospel is being presented in many Muslim nations across our world. To God be the glory. And if God can do that, assuredly he has a plan for Evangel Church. Assuredly he has a plan for Oakville, Ontario. I want to encourage you with a simple word today. And I felt like it's amazing how the Lord orchestrates worship selection, song selection, and the word of the Lord. Open up your heart because I believe God has something to say to you today. I believe that God turns the bitter waters of our life into sweet waters. I believe he can transform the bitter moments of our life, the difficult moments, the challenging seasons into some of the most God-ordained moments of our life. The word of the Lord today is found in Exodus chapter 15, starting in verse 22. Exodus 15, starting in verse 22. Let me just kind of put the context of this passage. The people of God, the Israelites, are traveling through the wilderness, and they're going towards where? The promised land. Pharaoh has released them uh, and, and, uh, from their labor, from their slavery, but he changes his mind. And he says, you know, what have I done? I've let go all of my slaves, and, and who's going to do all this work? So he's, he changes his mind, and he tells all of his men, we got to go and chase after them again and bring them back. And in Exodus 14, we see this encounter. The Egyptians and Pharaoh and his army are, are, are gaining on the Israelites, and the Israelites are, are running towards the promised land, yet before them is the Red Sea. And behind them are the Egyptians coming. They're stuck. What's going to happen? And of course, the people of God, in those moments of difficulty, where there seems to be no way, what do we do? We grumble and we complain especially to those that are in authority. And so they turn to Moses and say, what have you done? Was there not enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out in the middle of nowhere so that we'd die here? And of course, Moses is an incredible leader. Scripture says he's one of the most humble men in the world. He begins to cry out to God and God shows him, don't worry. Tell the people today they will see their deliverance. What they need to do is to be still. Be still and watch what God can do. 
And of course, as the story goes, God splits the sea in two, makes a passageway where there was, where, where there was no passageway, and the people of God cross the Red Sea on dry ground, and they get to the other side on the banks, and as the Egyptians chase them, God recedes the water and destroys their enemy right before their eyes. Well, of course, the response to God's intervention is what? praise and adoration and worship. And so you see Miriam and Moses in Exodus 15 singing and glorifying God because of what God had just done. Have you been there? Where God intervenes and does something that only He can do? Our natural response is to bow our knee and say, Mighty God, you're amazing. But then something else happens, and I want us to continue in the text. In verse 22, after all of the singing and praising because of the deliverance of God, it says this in verse 22, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, so the whole Red Sea miracle, and they went into the desert of Shur. Now let me just stop there. Sometimes life brings us right in the midst of a miracle through the waters of the Red Sea. And other times we're led in the desert. Other times and seasons of our life, they are desolate seasons, difficult seasons. The kind of seasons where we wonder, God, are you there? I don't feel you. I don't sense you. It seems as though life isn't working out the way I thought it would. So Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur. And for three days, now I want you to to underline that. For three days, they traveled in the desert without finding any water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That's why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses again, saying, what are we to drink? And then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Another translation says, showed him a tree, and I want you to underline that. So you got three days, you've got a tree, and he threw the tree into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and an instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all of his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. And then verse 27. Then they came to Elam where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees and they camped there near the water. Three simple points this morning for you today. The first one is this, three days. For three days they traveled in the desert of Shur without finding water. Now, these are entire families with children. You can only imagine the challenge that that would bring for three days without finding any water. These three days in many ways can represent seasons of darkness, seasons of silence, seasons of difficulty and challenge. Perhaps it's a foreshadowing of the three days that needed to elapse before the resurrection of Christ. You ever wonder 
Why was, there, why was there the need for the three days? Jesus dies on this cross. Those three days that needed to elapse were difficult days. The gospel has the account for us. We even see a picture of these two disciples on the road of Emmaus. And they're doubting and they're, they're struggling with this. They're thinking, we thought Jesus was our Messiah. We thought he was going to be the answer. We thought he was going to bring liberation. We thought he was going to lead the nation. And, and, and they've killed him. And they're distraught and they're discouraged. But friends, the three days needed to elapse before the glory of God, before Jesus arose from the dead. We learn the wisdom of patience from the crucifixion and the resurrection. The waiting is important in life. Now, we live in a North American culture. Waiting is not encouraged. If anything, waiting is like the worst possible thing. How many of you scan the grocery store lines and say, okay, the shortest one, and, and it, it never fails. It always backfires on me. It always becomes the longest one. And I'm tracking, okay, if I would have gone there, that guy would have, okay. Craziness. But waiting is part of the spiritual life. The waiting is important. We can't skip the waiting days, the, the dark days, the difficult days before the cross and the glory. Let's face it, nobody likes these days. Nobody likes these days that are dark. Darkness, however, is not all that bad. Now, before you throw me out, hang in. Perhaps darkness isn't all that bad. A mother's womb, is it not dark? There, a child for nine months is being nurtured and, and, and is growing and, and is safe in a mother's womb. Life is being developed before that child comes to, to, to the earth and can be physically seen and, the, and, and, and can physically see the mother and the family. This child has to stay in the womb where it is the safest place. It's nine months of that in that dark, safe place. Darkness was there before creation. In the beginning, when God created the universe, what the Holy Spirit embraced was formless and empty. Darkness, the scriptures say in Genesis 1-2, was over the surface of the deep. Before God created light, there was deep darkness. Jonah, the reluctant prophet, for three days was in the belly of a big fish, but it was there in that dark place, in that damp place, in that scary place where Jonah began to understand and learn to pray and to cry out to God. Those three days needed to elapse before Jonah was freed. In fact, the prophet Isaiah says something pretty amazing about darkness. Isaiah 45 verse 3 says this, I will give you the treasures of darkness. Wait a minute. When I read that, I thought, what? When I think of treasures, I don't think of darkness. I think of brilliance. I think of light. I think of blessing. No, the prophet Isaiah says, I will give you the treasures of darkness, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord. 
The God of Israel who summons you by name. What the prophet is saying is some of the greatest treasures of your life will be discovered in some of the darkest seasons of your life. Some of the most meaningful God moments of your life, some of the greatest riches of your life can be discovered through the most difficult times of your life. Because it's in those moments, as Isaiah says, he wants us to know that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name, who knows your name, who knows your story, who knows the amount of hairs on your head. See, before creating a new thing, God lets us go through darkness first. Through darkness, God makes us see things that we have never seen before. He helps us see a bright future through some of the dark seasons of our life. Let me illustrate it this way. Consider the way that God designed our eyes. We see through which part? The dark part of the eye. The iris. Not through the white part. Why did God create us to see things through the black part of the eye? It's a mystery that we see the bright future through the darkness. Scriptures tell us about men and women of God who went through some pretty dark experiences. Let's take, for instance, Joseph. Joseph was thrown into a pit by his very own family. Talk about betrayal. Talk about deep pain and woundedness and hurt by your own brothers. Thrown into a pit, left to die, and then sold as a slave. Think about that. Sometimes we read those stories and we think, oh, that's, that's kind of cool. No, that's not cool. That's dark. That's difficult to handle. If you've ever experienced hurt and pain and betrayal from somebody you've loved, you kind of understand. And then he spends two years in a dark prison for something he didn't do. Two years, not three days. Two years in a dark prison prison. And those dark years, God was preparing a stage for, for Joseph to demonstrate God's power and glory. While Joseph was waiting in the, cell, in the cell, amazing things were happening outside of the prison. Joseph didn't know though. And Joseph couldn't see. All he knew was God had given him this vision. And he was going to be this leader. And he was going to be used by God. And, but yet he's sitting in a cell for two years. I'm sure he had days where he thought, God, I don't understand this. This doesn't fit the timeline. This doesn't fit what you told me. Ever been there? Kind of feeling a little forgotten. Abandoned. Joseph understood that. But when at the appointed time it was time, God made a way for Joseph. And, and, and I encourage you, if you don't know the story, to go into the scriptures and read it because it's remarkable what God does. And then he brings reconciliation and it's a story of forgiveness and it's all kinds of things. But he sat in a prison for two years and the ones who promised to remember him forgot him. But God knows his name. And God made a way at the right time. But he had to go through the two years of imprisonment for something he didn't even do. 
What about people like David? David spent time in the caves of Adullam. God trained, however, David during those times of darkness. David did everything right. He honored King Saul. Don't touch the king's anointed. He didn't do anything wrong. The reason why he was running for his life was because it was the king's issues. It was the king who had jealousy and envy in his heart. It wasn't because David did anything wrong, but then there he is having to run for his life. And he's hiding in the caves of Adullam. But the scriptures say that it was in the caves that David learned to strengthen himself in the Lord. Did you get that? Before becoming king, David had to understand that he would have to learn to strengthen himself in the Lord in the dark seasons of his life. The only way he was going to learn that is in the caves. Friends, I don't know what season you're in in your life. You might feel like you're in the three days per se. And you're wondering, how does this work, friends? God's got some treasures of darkness that he would want you to discover during this season of your life. It's not over, friend. It's not over. God hasn't forgotten you. He knows your name. He knows your story. Stay the course. Stay the course. It's in those seasons of the three days where, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm tempted to take greater control of my life. I want to I fix things. I, I want to I address things. I want to I get things in order. And, and I, I overly control the situation. When we do that, we actually make things worse. The point sometimes is, let me be God. Be still and know that the deliverance is before you. Trust me. Listen to what I have to say. Blaise Pascal says all humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone with God. Sometimes in those difficult moments, I find myself sitting in my den, in the quietness, in the presence of God, and I put my hands on my lap and I think of all the things that are burdening me. And I can't even speak them sometimes because they're heavy. And I just sit there and then there'll be a moment in my prayer closet where I'll just put my hands back up and say, God, I surrender that. God, I don't know how to fix it, nor do I want to try to fix it because experience tells me I make more of a mess than anything. So God, I'm going to surrender this. And it's like God takes this burden off of me and, he's, and, and all of a sudden it's, that's why he says, cast your cares upon me. He's more than able, more than able. The three days. My second point is this, the one tree. Notice what happens in the story. They're going through the desert of Shur, and they finally see some water in the distance. It's the waters of Mara. They, they don't know that. They see water in the distance. So you can only imagine. It's been three days since they haven't had anything to drink. They finally see some water in the distance. What do you think they did? I'm sure they thought, this is it. This is the breakthrough we've been waiting for. We've been waiting for some water. Finally, God has provided. And I could just envision them running towards the water with their children, cupping it in their hands, sipping it, and only to realize it's undrinkable. 
its bitter waters. Talk about disappointment with God. Do you ever feel that way? That sometimes you're praying and believing and, and, and you think this is the breakthrough I've been waiting for. Here it is. This is the job interview. This is the relationship. This is the financial win. This is the business transaction. Whatever it is. This is the doctor's report. This is the answer I've been waiting for. Only to realize it's not. And it's like, again. God, it almost feels like you're playing with me. It almost feels like you want me to be hurt. Disappointment with God. You think you're going to get the job and you don't get the job. You think this is the relationship and it just doesn't work. And disappointment with God. We all have them. We pray for a miracle and it doesn't happen. We lose loved ones. And we're left drinking the bitter waters of life. This is what they were doing. They thought this was the answer and their dreams were dashed again. So what do they do? They, they're consistent. They begin to grumble and complain against Moses. We tend to do that, don't we? When our circumstances don't work out the way we want, we tend to complain. And we tend to be bitter and angry and resentful. And so they grumbled and complained against Moses. And I love Moses' response in the midst of this great need. The scripture says, that he cried out before the Lord. That's really important. In those moments of disappointment, instead of becoming jaded and hard, perhaps we need to bow the knee. And we need to raise our hands and say, God, I can't do this. God, I... Uh, we need you. We love you. You're everything to us. I can't live this life without you. Moses, with all of his experience, didn't try to come up with a solution. Instead, he cried out to the Lord. It's, it's a posture of humility. As, as our, our brother led this morning, he says, God, you are God and not me. God, I don't understand. Your ways are higher than mine. I can't see. My perspective is limited. I see through a glass dimly. But yours, it's clear. Your vantage point sees what I don't see. And so I cry out to you. May our troubles and our difficulty lead us back to Jesus. More and more, our first love. He cried out to the Lord, and it was in that moment that he cried out to the Lord that the Lord showed him the tree. Now that tree, I can't help to wonder if it is a foreshadowing in the Older Testament of the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, because all of us in our hearts have bitter waters that have been sin-affected. And the cross of Jesus, if you are a Christ follower, that cross was thrown into the cesspool of our life and it turned the bitter waters into sweet waters. Jesus has saved you. The greatest miracle of your life. And so I wonder if it's a foreshadowing of what Jesus was to do. We now on this side of the cross have the, the beautiful uh, opportunity to see the history in its completion. 
of what Jesus did on the cross, but they didn't have that yet. And so this tree turned the bitter waters into sweet waters. The question I have for us, will we be willing to humble ourselves in the midst of disappointments? And rather than try to become God, we bow the knee and remind ourselves we are not God. There once was a tree that was pulled up by its roots in a storm and it was floating in a river when it met a willow tree and it asked the willow tree, why were you not pulled up by the strong winds? And the willow tree answered, I bow down when the winds are too strong. It is the flexible trees that can endure strong winds. They know how to humble themselves. It's when we get all rigid and we, we, we try to figure things out that we actually make ourselves more vulnerable to brokenness. It's when we resign ourselves. As I speak about my Pakistani pastor, he could have just been so discouraged. He's done all this for God and now he has to flee for his life. Instead, he says, God is in control of my life. I don't, I, Pakistan is my home, but God's calling me to a foreign land and he's going to do something out of nothing there and he's doing it. But it's because he bowed the knee. And God, in his humility, is using him for his glory. Will you bow the knee, as Moses did, and cry out to God? Will you trust in the one tree who has saved you? Thirdly, seven miles. Now you might say, what does seven miles have to do with this text? Well, notice the last verse, which many times gets neglected by many uh, preachers. And it's a shame because it's powerful. The scripture says that after God turned the bitter waters of Marah, he made a pledge and a promise, and then he led them to a place called Elam. Then they came to Elam, verse 27, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees. And they camped there near the water. Elam was an oasis of rest. Notice what Elam encompasses. Twelve springs. Why is that important? Because there were twelve tribes of Israel. It's like God knew exactly what they needed. Friends, I've got 12 springs waiting for you in Elam. Elam, most scholars believe, was seven miles down the road from Marah. They couldn't see it yet. It was around the corner, around the bend. But Elam was already there prepared for God's people. It had 12 springs, one spring for each tribe. And it had what else? 70 palm trees. Why is that important? Because there were 70 elders of Israel. So it's like, elders, I got you covered. I know all that you do, all the responsibility you carry. I got some shade waiting for you at Elam. I will meet all of your needs. It's just seven miles down the road. Now, they didn't know that yet. But this is a testament that God knows your needs better than you know your needs. He's got Elam waiting for you seven miles down the road. You might not see it yet, but trust the God who loves you. And he not only blesses you generically, he knows the exact need of your life. Wow. 
God knows what you need more than what you know you need. God specifically provides for your specific needs. The question is, will you trust him down the seven-mile road? Will you trust him? Isn't God remarkable? I want the worship team to come on up because I'm looking at the clock here. God knew Elam was around the corner. The people didn't. God had prepared it in advance for their needs. And yet, even though they grumbled and complained at Mara, what did he do? He still did a miracle for them. That's the mercy of God. That is the generosity, the compassion, the love, the care. Even when we don't get it, he still is faithful. But friends, I want to try to live my life, a life of gratitude down the seven-mile road and trust that God will meet my needs, that he is more than able. And notice the text says that they didn't live in Elam. They didn't end up building their houses in Elam. They pitched their tents in Elam. They camped there. Because that wasn't the destination. The destination was where? The promised land. As great as Elam was, that's not the destination. Here's the the takeaway from that. God will give us Elam moments in our life here on earth. And they're going to be amazing and you're going to be blessed by them. But friends, it's only a foretaste of what heaven is going to be like. This is not our home. Those Elam moments aren't even going to be perfect. They're going to be amazing, but they're not going to be perfect because that's for the other side. God will one day wipe away every tear, every broken relationship, every wound, every pain. Your body that's ailing and falling apart one day will be made perfect again. That is your eternal destination. I want us to sing this worship song. Can you stand with me? I want to pray for you. I believe the Spirit of God is doing something in your hearts right now. Through the word of the Lord. Lord, I pray right now for these families that are represented both on site and online. God, I pray that you would walk into their life and into their homes and do what only you can do. God, right now by your spirit, may you strengthen them to their core and may you help them discover treasures of darkness. Treasures that they would have never experienced in the broad daylight. I pray that they would be encouraged to know that you know their name and that seven miles down the road, Elam awaits them. And so God, I pray you spur it into them faith and courage to keep walking the road. And may we walk that road with our eyes set to heaven because one day everything will fade away and we'll be made right in the heavenlies. And so, Lord, I pray blessing on each family that's represented here, every person. And Lord, if there is somebody who's here or listening online that doesn't personally know Jesus right now, Lord, I just pray that they would open up their hearts. And if that's you this morning, all you need to do is say, Jesus, I'm crying out to you today. I need you. And I desire you to be my personal savior. Wash the sins of my life away. My desire is to walk with you every step of the way. Friend, if you 
prayed a simple prayer like that, I want you to reach out to the church, to the leadership, Pastor Scott, Pastor Shannon, and Jennifer. A family member, it's the greatest decision you've ever made. Lord, I pray blessing on this church. Lord, you have a plan for evangel. I pray that they would be positioned for great effectiveness in this region. I pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And everyone says, amen. Let's worship. This is my desire to honor you, Lord, with all my heart, I worship you.
Lord, have your way in.